the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday's sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. This is Jim. You were expecting Emily right now, but have I got a treat for you today, Howlin' Wolves. This is the first ever solo post-Sunday blues of preaching post-mortem coming at you just my lonesome so we can have an intimate conversation you and me today. Emily was looking forward to joining but not to be alarmist because there is no cause for alarm. She spent most of last night in the emergency room in Camden. Nothing life-threatening but small complication related to her foot surgery that wasn't super dire in the greater scheme of things but it was timely Hence the overnight stay on a gurney for a little while. She says hi, and I say let's call it Stormy Monday. The big idea from this sermon was that we are leaky people. We live in the space of not enoughs and if onlys. And as I was engaging Colossians 1, 9-14, I spent a lot of time thinking praying, considering that we want a lot. Helen Wolves, I want you to know that it took a lot of gumption, courage, boldness for me, not to use that old quote from Saul Bellow's Henderson the Rain King that describes so well the human condition. In the title character Henderson's heart, he remarks, there is this voice coming from deep within my breast, and all it said was, I want, I want, I want, I want, oh, I want. That's a lot of us a lot of the time. And if the whole idea from Colossians in general, or this passage specifically, Paul again is going back to this idea, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are full in Christ. And I was thinking, if Paul's saying that, what about how leaky we are and we spend so much of our time saying not enough in different ways. We have room to grow. So as we grow into Sun Studios' presence of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 to 14, I'll read the verses one more time. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just got a flashback. I'm sitting in the same desk in the same home office from which I often in the super early days of Liberty Collingswood would speak through my sermon, including reading a sermon text that I had preached the previous Sunday because the sermon recording didn't turn out from that Sunday. And I wanted to keep current with posting all the sermons on our website, just like we still do, 
This was before podcasts were a thing, at least at Liberty Collingswood. Sermon recording didn't get done, so I would spend half hour or so talking through the sermon and then putting it online. And it, over the years, as I'd go back and listen to bits and pieces of those recordings, on them occasionally you would hear me take a sip from a drink, much like this. Sun Studios, Presence of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 just read the verses, and in so many ways, Paul underscores this idea that we are complete in Christ. In the beginning of the passage, knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding, every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power, glorious might, endurance, patience, joy. Paul says, dude, and do debt. All of these things are yours in Christ. That's the whole locative or location idea of Jesus when Paul, at the beginning of the first of Colossians, rather, spoke to the church, you are in Colossae and in Christ. That's where you are because you're in him. And then Paul redoubles that emphasis by using two root words, one for filled and one for all or every, that recurs over and over again. Filled, all, fully pleasing to him, every good work, all power, all endurance. Five or six times in the beginning of the passage, just to say, in Christ, you are full as you receive this Christ by faith, you follower of Jesus. And before we get into muddying the waters to think about how and why it doesn't always feel that way. Let me just take a moment here in Sun Studios, and I anticipate a shorter podcast episode here than if we have an interlocutor along with me. The filling that we have received in Jesus is through and through a gracious filling. So if the ways in which we're filled occupy the beginning of the passage, the first three verses, 9 to 11, second part of the passage, 12 to 14, talks about how Jesus has done this on our behalf by grace. I mentioned during the sermon, too, that it's all one big sentence. We'll get back to that word cloud idea as well before we go to the next session section. So, gracious filling, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We have not qualified ourselves. We have not worked for this. We have not merited this. We have not put in our two cents worth of human goodness to the process of Jesus buying redemption and salvation for us. It's Jesus who's qualified us according to the will of the Father, his counsel of redemption. I mentioned super briefly during the sermon that sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light, that inheritance idea goes back to the Old Testament where Supremely in the Hebrew scriptures, this inheritance idea is the promised land, which in the fullness of Jesus, as we get to the New Testament, Jesus crucified and resurrected truly gives us the promised land, which is nothing less than the new heavens and the new earth, prefigured by Canaan, the land of Israel, and fulfilled in Jesus making all things new for us. So this inheritance is ours as well. That's why we share in it, to use the language of Paul here. But by Paul dipping back into the Hebrew scriptures, he brings forward this rich 
Allusive, A-L-L-U-S-I-V-E, world related to the exodus and to the exile from the Old Testament. So it was the original redemption par excellence in the scriptures by which God redeemed the Israelites from captivity in Egypt to bring them into their inheritance, namely Canaan, the promised land. And when Israel disobeyed, was exiled, God brought them back again. Bible scholars, N.T. Wright is one who majored on this, just to name one that Helen Wolves, you hear me talk about in sermons, one of those scholars. In Jesus, not only Israel, not only Jewish people, but Jewish person and Gentile person are part of the new exodus by which we are transferred in Christ from darkness to light. So all of those Old Testament overlays are at work. When Paul is talking about the redemption that we're able to receive and using some of this Old Testament imagery will come back into play again in Colossians chapter 2, if not sooner, when part of the Colossian heresy or the Colossian error is that they're over-reliant upon Hebrew Old Testament Jewish practices and regulations, that old has fallen away and the new has come in Jesus. So if you want truly the fruit of God's work in the Hebrew scriptures, don't go back to the regulations, but go to the one to whom all of those laws and and regulations pointed, namely Jesus of Nazareth. So we have that inheritance idea in verse 12, then the deliverance idea coming right after that. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, locative location language once again, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. couple sermons ago, I think in the intro to Colossians, I talked about how Paul describes himself as a fellow, no, Epaphroditus, sorry, a fellow servant of his and of the Colossian church, Sundalos, remarking that even though it just sounds like normal language to us in our English Bibles, doulos, transliterated into the English D-O-U-L, O-U-S, doulos, or just O-S? Oh, man, I'd have to go back and check. the. Yeah, it's just O-U-L-O-S. That word bondservant, doulos, is one from the world of enslavement, and nobody wanted to be a doulos in that culture, understandably so. But it seems like Paul is getting at this idea that their crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is so radical in its reversal of the world's orders that we can use a word like doulos, bondservant, even slave, that can be translated that way. That's not the only word for slave in ancient Greek. But Jesus redeems an institution such as that. And related to that idea of this radical reversal in Jesus is redemption, which is drawn from the world of enslavement once again, where you pay money to free somebody from enslavement, literally. And that's an idea, a concept, a picture of what Jesus does for us when he frees us from the enslavement to sin 
by paying the debt on the cross for us, the forgiveness of sins. Finally, on this point, emphasizing where it's the Spirit that does the work of filling us in Jesus. We can say, okay, I don't have enough goodness and effort and spiritual energy, vitality and passion to be filled by Jesus all the time. Well, that makes sense, but it's the Spirit that fills us with, Paul says, for example, in verse 9, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I had cut this out of the sermon. For Paul, or put it this way, in New Testament Greek, there were no capital letters. And so in our English Bibles, when Paul talks about the Spirit, most of the time that's capitalized, referencing the Holy Spirit. But then when we get spiritual, the adjectival form that comes across in English as lowercase s. But the reality is that for Paul, when he was talking about spirit as a noun or spiritual as an adjective, by and large, Spiritual, small case s in English, still refers to the Holy Spirit. So when we're filled with knowledge of his will, wisdom, understanding, spiritually speaking, that's because the Holy Spirit is in us. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us to bring us into contact with the divine life and energy. God himself dwells within us through the Spirit and in Christ so that we can't say that we can't. When it comes to being filled by Jesus, we can work towards that. Last thing, Sun Studios, presence of the Lord. I hope I didn't sound flippant on Sunday when I talked about, hey, Paul's not in this one super long sentence in lawyer mode, being super analytical about how every part of the sentence and every word in a very analytical way fits in with everything else. Paul is not in the mode which we can interpret by way of super intricate sentence diagrams or that sort of thing. Sometimes Paul is, and the huge example of that is the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church, where, in my opinion, Paul is very much in analytical lawyer, bit-by-bit argumentation mode, and he's brilliant when he's writing in that vein. He's not doing that yet in the book of Colossians, in this prayer of thanksgiving. Paul is using all of these words, not in analytic, very specific sorts of associations, but to overwhelm us with a picture of how Paul is praying for the Colossian church. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, good works, knowledge, power, glorious might, endurance, patience, and joy. I think the better way to interpret that is to treat them more in their totality and less in their individuality. So it's not because I'm not taking this passage seriously, but the job of good biblical interpretation is to do your best to try to figure out how best to interpret the passage based on authorial intent. And I think that is what is going on here. Hey, Jim, do you think you're ready to go now into muddying the waters? Are we done with... Sun Studios, Presence of the Lord. Yes, Jim, thanks for asking. And by the way, I love these heading titles that you have put together. Well, thank you, Jim. And let's muddy the waters a little bit right here. So fullness in Christ is the main idea. That's what Paul is praying for for the Colossian church here. If only 
that were true of more of us, especially in Christ, more of the time, but it's not. And we live in this if only and not enough space way too much. And hopefully this is something that translated for those in the room and watching online for people that were committed Christians and who were not. One of the things I tell younger preachers is that when you preach to the Imago Dei, when we are subject to the vicissitudes, finitude, and sinfulness of life, both within us and without us, not in every case, but a lot of the time you can preach to both Christians and non-Christians at once, if you get at those common struggles endemic to imago deis, people made in the image of God living in a fallen world and being fallen people themselves. So both Christians and non-Christians alike struggle with this whole idea. Well, sorry, it's an idea when we talk about it as such, but it is a lived embodied reality for us. Not enough. Not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. That is the slogan, baseline narrative that drives us so much of the time. Towards the introduction, or in the introduction of the sermon. Wait, sorry, that was in point one. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. Looking at my notes that are hard to decipher. <laughs> it's been a couple of days since I preached a sermon, everybody. Here we go. What are some ways in which we can feel the not enough? I have not enough time. When you feel like you're full of time and have plenty of time when something unexpected comes your way, it doesn't knock you off your horse because you have plenty of time. However, when you're in a period of life or even at a certain point in the day when you feel like I have so little time and so much to do, so much responsibility, so many demands put upon my life, I just don't have time already, and then something unexpected comes across your plate demanding more of your time. That's when you stress out. That's when you act out. That's when you freak out. If we're living in that place of having not enough time or not enough money, that hits us where we hurt. Not enough friends. The whole FOMO idea when everybody else on social media is having such a great time going to these great places. Not enough fun or not having enough rest. How many of us feel like we do? Not having enough relational or sexual fulfillment, space to express ourselves, not enough people that fully and truly see us and know us. And I put the qualifier in there. They're legitimate. It's like Jesus when he says, hey, don't stress about what to eat, how to pay for things, what to drink. And he adds, your father in heaven knows that you need these things. These are legitimate needs built into all of these not enoughs. But how can we be more fully filled in Jesus as opposed to running after all of these individual things as ultimate? Because that's when it crosses the line into sin. So hopefully on Sunday morning, Helen Wolves that heard the sermon and also are listening to the podcast now, you're able to circle at least a couple of those. What are some of your specific not enough drivers? For some of us, we might think, yeah, time's not really a stressor for us. We feel like we have plenty of that. But money, on the other hand, is the big driver or whatever it is. And when we start to think about our not enoughs, those are the if onlys, if only I had more X. So identify what those are. Those are your blockers 
that you can ask God's help via the Holy Spirit in community by word, by sacrament, by the disciplines, the rhythms of grace, the practices of presence, if you will, where we can chip away and say, I'm not going to centralize these if onlys and not enoughs in my life. Because one, God doesn't want me to do that. That's idolatry. That's breaking God's law. We are to glorify God and enjoy him forever, not glorify these not enoughs in different ways. And they're never going to fill us anyway. Also in the sermon, I spent some time, and this is where we're hit as modern people living in the late modern West in 2023. I wanted to do some comparison of ends. What is that? Using the figuration, the reference to Wizard of Oz, I guess I could mention that in Barbad cover tunes. What's at the end of the yellow brick road? And true confessions, I never liked Wizard of Oz, never read the books, always found the movie kind of weird and not very exciting. So in school, when our teachers were having a bad day or had a bad night, said, hey, we're going to watch The Wizard of Oz today in class. Never liked it. Always super boring, not funny, didn't connect with Dorothy or the Tin Man or the Cowardly Lion. Or isn't there another one? I don't even know. I don't like it when people reference lions and tigers and bears. I just don't like it. But when you preach every week, you got to be more profligate in your your references because you need stuff to talk about. So what is at the end of the Yellow Brick Road that I was going to say the genie, sorry, the wizard behind the curtain at the end, if we're living in this high autonomy, expressive individualism sort of world where the highest value pretty much all the time is maximizing our space to express ourselves. And if you are the true you, as much as possible in all ways, that's going to get you what you want out of life. Au contraire, but does it? Talked about, hey, if if that's the end-all, be-all in life, you can get more expression out of things, but you're still stuck with you. And at the end of the day, how big of a deal is that? And it is a deal. I think at this point I talked about pendulum swinging. Do we want to be repressed or cover up or be so crowded in on every side that we don't feel like we have the space to express who we are? No, that's not living also. And it's good to express who you are because that brings everything into the light for God's sanctification to work in you in a really deep way. If you're just covering up, burying, 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 that's not a recipe for human flourishing. That's not a recipe for Christian obedience either. But is it all that as an end-all be-all to say, I get to be me to the fullest? There's image of God. There's good stuff that God has created in us, but there's a lot of sin as well. On the other hand, voluntarily and by the help of the Holy Spirit in the obedience of faith, as Paul talks about at the beginning of Romans, Romans 1, 5, is it not better to sacrifice some of our autonomy to instead become sons and daughters of the Most High, bondservants of Jesus, King of King, Lord of Lords, we lose some self-determination, but we gain glory. He chose us in him, I mentioned before, the foundation of the world. 
And what we get is not just ourselves, although we do get ourselves, and a better sanctified version of ourselves along with God's people throughout the ages, the saints in light, like Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1 in our sermon text, where we have an eternity of praising Jesus and being with one another to the glory of God the Father as we bow our knees and our tongues confess that Jesus is Lord. Be clear-eyed about what you're choosing and what you're getting, secular friend and neighbor, if you're saying, no, I don't want any of that. I'm going to maximize my autonomy instead. The good news, but then also the bad news, is we get ourselves. But Jesus offers us something better, and that better should give us an anchor as we're challenged to pursue fullness in him. And whether it's smoking it out and smoking the whole pack, don't recommend that as a way uh, to get to the end of our idolatries, but instead sweating it out. And I hope that you're able in your life to get to those points where you've identified where your if-onlys, where your not-enoughs are, and see how those baseline narratives are affecting how you live, what you choose, what you don't choose, what you pursue, what you don't pursue, what you crave, what both shapes you and warps you, and instead say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Jesus, would you fill my not-enoughs that I feel viscerally right now? But instead, Jesus, would you be enough for me in this and in all ways so that I can build out again and be a different, better, more peaceful, fuller version of myself by your grace and by your mercy and in the power of your Holy Spirit. So be hyper-specific within yourself about where the if-onlys and not-enoughs are driving you and instead say to Jesus, pray ask other people for help. Jesus, would I live in your sufficiency and your fullness instead of reaching out for that brand X, whatever it is. And when you begin to live out of that fullness and that reality, that's when you, that's when we are truly deeply formed in Jesus Christ. Barband cover tunes. What sorts of things was I referencing on Sunday morning? Well, I'm a regular reader of The Atlantic, so it shouldn't surprise you that I meant to go back and look up the author. I'll have to find that for you. Helen Wolves, feel free to write in postsundayblues at gmail.com if you want this specific reference. Nowadays, it's not enough to be happy if you can be even happier. The American dream and the pursuit of happiness have morphed from a quest for general contentment to the idea that you must be happy at all times and in every way. Isn't that how it feels to live today? Then also Gretchen Rubin speaking to the same malaise, observing in her Happiness Project book, which is a book that I recommend. It doesn't, it's not a drop everything and read it, but the Happiness Project is a good read. I am happy, but I am not as happy as I should be. So much of that will drive our not enoughs and our if only. So describing the mood of the times, the zeitgeist, you have the Atlantic there and Gretchen Rubin. I also mentioned, speaking of zeitgeist, Sigmund Freud. How many of you, Helen Wolves, have seen the movie? My favorite portrayal in art of Sigmund Freud is this movie that 
was really big on my radar at the time, middle school maybe, maybe later, Young Einstein, written, directed, and starred in by a young Australian actor named Yahoo Sirius. I don't think that's his real name. I wonder what he's up to now. That's worth a Google. I'll get back to you on that one. But Young Einstein, which was a totally farcical, made-up autobiography, or biographical account of the early days of Einstein, set in Australia when he discovered the theory of relativity by trying to split the beer atom so that beer could become carbonated. Sigmund Freud makes a cameo appearance in that movie. He's somebody who's kowtowed constantly lives with his mom and is pretty much a silent guy who picks his nose a lot. So anyway, Sigmund Freud... He is what he is. Not many people do psychoanalysis at this point, strictly in the Freudian sense, but Freud's footprint and shadow cast into the 20th, 21st century is giant, where one of the mainstreams, I think, that shape us now is to think about and talk about how sex and and sexuality is everything for us. And our key identity is wed to being able to express and practice our sexual self as much as we possibly can with the proviso in modern terms, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, which is its own can of worms. It just seems natural to us to think that if Jesus would curb my sexual expression in any way, that Jesus is a bad Jesus, who's not letting me be me, who's against my happiness, who's against my flourishing. We have that knee-jerk reaction because we have over-articulated the centrality of the sexual self to the human person, which is a malformation of human personhood and something specifically tied to the foibles of late modernity stemming from somebody like Sigmund Freud, who wrote in Civilization and Its Discontents. And I got this quote from reading Carl Truman's Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I don't necessarily commend Truman's tone, but I commend the content of that book. It is a little bit of a deeper dive. There's a shorter version of the book out there. Anyway, Freud writes, man's discovery that sexual love afforded him the strongest experiences of satisfaction and in fact provided him with the prototype of all happiness must have suggested to him that he should continue to seek the satisfaction of happiness in life along the path of sexual relations and that he should make it the central point of his life. Freud says, this is how human beings are. A couple of places at which I disagree here. One is that I think Freud is over-appreciating how big a deal sex is to us. It is a deal. It's a good thing. Pendulum, balance, all that stuff. Sex is a biblical good, not a biblical bad. But if he's over-determining how sex drives us, he's also slipping between the descriptive and the prescriptive. So if he's describing the general disposition of the human person throughout the ages as being hyper-determined by sex and sexuality, he's saying because it is this way, even though I disagree with that, it should be prescriptively this way as well. So that's a key, ah, let's put it this way, that is a key Freudian slip from the prescriptive to the descriptive. But anyway, also talked about Hermann Bovink. This was Reform Dogmatics, Volume 3. Probably my favorite work of systematic theology that I've ever read, those four volumes. 
Bavink talking about, hey, human beings are awesome. We can do a ton of stuff. But do you know something that we can't do and are never satisfied with trying to replicate? Redemption. We are thirsting for redemption. And all human ingenuity, arts, culture building, manufacturing, medicine cannot bring us redemption. Only Jesus can. Then there's this whole idea from Augustine, the classic quote when he's talking about, hey, God helps you to do what he commands. Oh, Lord, give what you command and command what you give. Of course, it's better in Latin. Da quod jubes et jube quod vis. There you have it. Then some odds and ends. Oh, the late addition to the sermon, it was on Saturday when I was thinking about, hey, if our if-onlys are fulfilled, they're not going to give us everything that we want out of those if-onlys in the first place. My daughter, Clara, seventh grade, has been enjoying the new Olivia Rodrigo album. Again, when she goes back and sings along to the lyrics, she she bleeps out the profanity in it, which I, I endorse and appreciate. But anyway, Rodrigo's album, which from a sound perspective, I, I definitely like. I think she's a good young artist, was playing me tracks from the new album Guts and the lyric from, oh man, is it Making My Bed, Making the Bed, something about a bed. I was in the car driving around with Clara. I got the things that I wanted, Rodrigo things, sings. It's just not what I imagined. I got the things I wanted. It's just not what I imagined. At age 20, and I think she's speaking autobiography. Oh man, we're reaching the end of the podcast autobiographically in that song, more or less, or at least a Rodrigo persona at age 20. Hugely successful recording artist. She has everything that I wanted, fame, fortune, otherwise. It's just not what I imagined. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. So take it from somebody who's attained it. It's not all that. Also began the sermon with crazy people, emphasizing again that this does not constitute an endorsement, but whether or not it's appropriate I found Crazy People to be a hugely funny movie starting Dudley Moore. And then a little bit of lanyap just thrown in at the end of the sermon, talking about being able to play guitar. Wayne's World emerged as a reference at that point. Don't really know why, but you remember how, oh, was it Wayne or Garth that was the guitar player and the other the drummer? Oh, I, th- I guess it was Garth that was the drummer and it was Wayne that did the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. On guitar. Okay, we are coming in for a landing. Mark Zumoff, the old Sixers announcer, towards the end of the game, what would he say when he was announcing? Zumoff retired a couple years ago. Hey, lock all doors, close all windows. We're coming into the we're coming in for a landing in the end of the game. I, I thought about not doing a podcast this week because Emily was out. But what inspired me to do it, true story, was that one of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to in the past few months on the Ringer podcast feed, Ryan Rossillo, who has a good show, mostly sports, some other cultural stuff, gave a podcast travel log. It's like over two hours long of his trip to the southern Mediterranean, southern Spain this summer. And he's just talking. Bro is summarizing day after day of his travel log. It is a new Rebecca West, Black Lamb and Gray Falcon. It is spectacular. And I thought to myself, 
with not a little bit of hubris. If Rusillo could do it, I could do it. And what do you know? I thought this podcast would be much shorter than it ended up being when it comes to preachers. That's what he said. Because we like to hear our own voices. Thank you for listening. If you are around at this point, feel free to write in. I'm going to talk with Pat about how we can get some more uh, notes, etc. from our Howlin' Wolves going once again. But hey, it's been great to share this time with you. If you're listening here and also listen to some of those old re-recorded sermons from this desk, blast from the past time, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.